Hi, this is Deval Patrick, former governor of Massachusetts, and I've got a podcast. We call it Being American. In each episode, we talk about the major challenges that people and families and communities all over the country are facing that need real solutions and how a better understanding of our shared values and objectives can help us bridge the kinds of differences that keep us from those solutions. I interview political figures, elected officials, grassroots organizers, regular citizens, folks in and out of politics and civic life who are in search, like me, of common wisdom in these uncommon times. Join us and help bridge the divide. It's the Being American podcast, which you can subscribe to or download wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to For All, a podcast by ACLU of Mississippi focused on civil rights and liberties in our state. We're here to talk about what's impacting Mississippians right now. And at the end of each episode, we leave you with a call to action for how you can advocate for all of us. I'm Candace Coleman, the Advocacy and Communications Director at the ACLU of Mississippi. The primary role of public officials is to serve our communities and respond to our needs. As voters, we want mayors and aldermen to appoint police chiefs that will ensure our safety and security, right? Well, in the small town of Lexington, Mississippi, one of the poorest counties in the state, the police department's crucial promise to protect and serve is broken. Over 80% of the town's 1,500 population is black. And through over 200 official and unofficial complaints about the Lexington Police Department, we've learned that officers have a long history of targeting and mistreating black citizens. The accusations against LPD include brutality, falsifying charges, racially discriminatory roadblocks, and excessive and untraceable cash bond practices. Well, the ACLU of Mississippi has joined a coalition of other civil rights groups, activists, and community members to demand change in Lexington. Largely, we've engaged with Julian, which is a civil rights legal advocacy nonprofit organization that has led a multi-pronged effort to organize, educate, and advocate for the residents of Lexington while investigating LPDs and the city's conduct. The main character found to have been acting against black Lexington residents is former police chief Sam Dobbins. Obviously, Dobbins is no longer the police chief there, and we'll get into what happened later. But his presence is still felt in the community because the police department's practices, they haven't changed So Julian and the National Police Accountability Project, they filed a lawsuit alleging these wide-ranging civil rights violations by LPD and at the direction of and on behalf of the people of Lexington, the ACLU of Mississippi has helped draft and propose new ordinances and policing policies to the Lexington Board of Aldermen. In this episode of For All, I talked with ACLU of Mississippi Legal Director Joshua Tom and founder of Julian, Jill Jefferson, about how Lexington police have wrongfully impacted the community and what's needed on the path to justice in the city. 
first, here's Jill. Julian is, we're a really young organization. Um, I founded Julian in 2020, a few weeks before George Floyd's murder. And the reason why I founded it was because as a black woman who is born and raised in Mississippi, um, and then, you know, became an attorney, I saw a lot of gaps in the way that civil rights was being done. Our first cases were modern-day lynchings. We still have a lot of modern-day lynching cases. Uh, when I say modern-day lynching, I mean like somebody who was lynched after the year 2000. So there are a lot of those in Mississippi, especially a lot of them across the nation. But what Julian does, one of our big things, we're like a full stop, you know, civil rights, human rights shop and like all kinds of, you know, different types of violations. But I can tell you that our focus has been racial terror, you know, because that is the thing that undergirds the criminal justice system here in Mississippi and around the nation. You know, if a black person gets arrested, you don't know what's going to happen to you. You don't know if you're going to live or die. You don't know what's going to happen when you get in jail. You you do not know. And for me, I'm I'm not I'm not old, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm in my 30s and growing up, just at my young age, lynching was a really big thing, you know. I was afraid of being lynched. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, as a child. Like it, this is something that is common if you grow up in these kinds of environments. And so so focusing on racial terror, that's, you know, that's why we do the work on the lynchings. That's why we do the work in Lexington, because this community is scared to death and is because they are poor and they are black, that they are being victimized. This is white supremacy. So those cases are kind of like the things that we really, really focus on. Mm-hmm. The way that I describe Julian to anybody, you know, I'm talking to for the first time who has like kind of an understanding of civil rights history, as I say, you know, Julian is a mix of what LDF was when it was led by Thurgood Marshall and Constance Baker Motley, combined with SNCC pre-1966, <laughs> plus a Silicon Valley tech firm. Mm. You know, mm. what those different components bring, that all that together, that is what we do. So how did Julian get involved in Lexington? Well, one of the main complaints from citizens there was how the police department inconsistently handles fines forcing people to pay cash fines over and over again. They use these fines in so many different ways. So I'll I'll go over a few scenarios first. You know, if they have a roadblock, which these roadblocks have been happening at ridiculous rates. At one point, there were were multiple roadblocks every day of the week and targeting black citizens, especially in Lexington. And so one thing that would happen is if somebody was going through a roadblock and they had what Lexington would call, quote unquote, an old fine. Mm. The police would then arrest them during that roadblock for like a previous unpaid fine. And they would take them to jail and keep them there until they paid that fine in cash. And a lot of the time, you know, something that we found out is that these amounts of what these fines are and what should be paid were made up off the top of the heads of this, like just the officer, just, you know, the chief of police. In one instance, for example, one of our plaintiffs in the suit, Eric Redman, his sister, they had arrested her, taken her to jail because they said she had improper equipment. When he found out, and Mr. Redman is also a former police officer, when he went to bail to get her out of jail, her fine was $700. So he went to the ATM, got, got the money, went to pay it. When he brought the $700, then the police department told him, no, it's not $700, it's $2,000. And so at that point, you know, he said, you know, he wanted to talk to the chief. Mm-hmm. They ended up arresting him 
when he went to check on his sister's fine, you know, so that's one of the ways that they use it. It'll be, you know, in, in roadblocks, these old fines and using them to arrest people. Another thing that they do is that, you know, if they have somebody already detained, they will like use these fines. They'll say if somebody has an old fine or an old warrant to like drive up like the cost of getting them out. They old, old fines and old warrants. <laughs> that's like that's like the language. You have a fine or you have a warrant. People most of the time don't ever see any documentation of the existence of these fines. Mm-hmm. They don't ha- they don't see any documentation of these warrants. But basically, what's happening is that these fines are being used as bail, like they're they're equivocating like fines with bail. So you have to pay in cash. If you don't pay in cash, you have to stay in jail. That is the situation, and what it does, like you mentioned, putting people in limbo. So. People have jobs. Lexington is one of the poorest counties in this nation. And so if somebody gets locked up, there's also the thing they would lock somebody up on an old fine on a Friday and try to keep them there through Monday or Tuesday. And of course, they have to miss work. And so the people have pressure to pay these fines so that they don't lose their livelihood. So Jill mentioned Sam Dobbins here. So we'll take a break uh, to talk about the former police chief. Since Dobbins hiring back in July of 2021, residents, community leaders, elected officials, and others have repeatedly complained to public officials in Lexington of mistreatment, often racially motivated by Dobbins and the Lexington Police Department. The city attorney, the board of aldermen, and the mayor, they were all aware of the unconstitutional accusations, yet no one took action to reprimand or investigate the department. It wasn't until a 17-minute recording of Dobbins bragging about killing people in the line of duty was leaked to the press that the board of aldermen voted to fire him. He used racial and homophobic slurs when discussing black and LGBTQ community members. He boasted about personally shooting a man 119 times. Now, we're going to play a short edited clip of the recording, which does include some profanity. I don't give a fuck if you kill a motherfucker in cold blood. I will articulate to fix the fucking problem. And I'm the only man in the business here that's smart enough to do that. I have shot and killed in the line of duty 13 different people. You shot that nigga 119 times. Okay? I mean, I saved 67 kids in a school. vehicle was shot 319 times. But he was hit 119 times by me. Some very strong words used by Chief Dobbins in that recording. Here's Jill to talk about the aftermath of the recording leak, which happened in July. We heard that the board of that the board of aldermen that they were having internal meetings that they that they were calling all these different meetings and things like that. Um, and we knew that some of it had to do with with that audio and with Dobbins. In one of those meetings, you know, it was. They went into executive session, so that portion was was closed to the public, but they ended up firing him because of the national pressure from that audio. Um, I want to be clear. They did not fire him because of the complaints. Right. They didn't fire him because of any of the stuff he'd done wrong. They fired him because the nation Mm -hmm. put pressure on them after the nation had heard that media and was like, how in the world could you employ somebody like this? So it was simply the national pressure that made them do that. And one thing about that, you know, that vote was, that was not a unanimous vote. That was 3-2, yes. the Board of Aldermen. 
And what we found out since then is that it was it was actually planned to be three, two in favor of keeping him. But there was an alderman who was supposed to vote to keep him who decided at the last minute to vote to fire him. That alderman, actually, he suffered from Mm. that. He got fired from his job he worked at. He worked at a white-owned funeral home in Lexington. They fired him. And then the radio station and, and the community found out and they went public about it. And because of that pressure in the community, they hired him back. But they scared him. And so he since, you know, changed his story. All of that is, is really like a, a sad situation. But this is white supremacy at its finest. This stuff can continue to exist because of the supremacy. And so Dobbins, after he was fired, you know, there were things that he did, like, for example, continuing to patrol the town after he'd been fired. You know, he would ride in the passenger seat of a police-issued vehicle with an on-duty officer, mm-hmm. Cardarius Epps, mm-hmm. and would go around the community. And that basically amounted to witness intimidation, the people who had made these complaints against him. The city knew that he was doing this. Mm-hmm. Never did they bring Epps in and, chat. you know... <laughs> you know, in some way reprimand him for this. Right. You know, they didn't do anything to Dobbins. Like, this is just an ongoing story of their doing nothing when people are being victimized or even just making excuses for it, which helps it to continue. So those are some of the things that have happened in the wake of this. And Henderson, so when they fired Sam Dobbins, who is white, they made the interim chief, um, Charles Henderson, who is black, that is kind of like one of the ways that they're trying to cover themselves now by saying, well, hey, we have a black chief. Mm -hmm. Henderson, though, is no better than Dobbins. Henderson was under Dobbins. He was Dobbins' second in command. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if Dobbins, you know, falsely arrested somebody, it was often Henderson who told him what to charge them with after the fact. Mm. So Henderson has had such a huge hand in all of this stuff that's happened. There is a pile of complaints against him from the citizens as well of Lexington, but they went ahead and made this man their interim chief. And what is being said is that they're going to make him the permanent chief. But under his rule, all this stuff has continued. The roadblocks have continued. They're still, you know, arresting people and then roughing them up. Something that we found out recently is that the police, they cuffed a six-year-old boy in school just a couple of weeks ago in front of class. And um, that little boy ended up getting uh, suspended. Things are still happening. Nothing has stopped. So let's talk about the solutions in Lexington. Can you explain the lawsuit that you all filed at Julian and where that is today? So we filed a suit against the city of Lexington, against Lexington's police department, uh, and against officers Henderson and officer Dobbins. We just this week added more officers to that complaint. Mm. And the thing that we requested was a temporary restraining order against the city of Lexington, against the police department to stop them from harassing people and violating people's rights. So we have specific language in that suit that we use from our precedent, which is Williams v. Wallace. It's an incredible case that like one of the best civil rights attorneys ever who ever lived you know, brought Fred Gray in 1965 with the Selma to Montgomery March and Bloody Sunday. So that was our precedent. And we had a very we had a very strong case. We did really well in court. We did really well on paper, um, and we didn't get the ruling that we asked for. And so, 
we have decided to move forward um, instead of appealing that so that we can get to discovery. You know, Lexington is not the kind of place that you trust to preserve records. Mm. Um, So you want to try to get things as soon as possible and not give them a chance to destroy things. So that's so we wanted to move forward and get discovery in this case. So that's where we are. Our legal arguments, the things that we're asking for in this suit, apart from the temporary restraining order, we've also asked that there be, you know, a citizen review mm-hmm. board yes. for, for complaints against police. We've asked for damages. We've asked for different types of injunctions that would basically enforce people's constitutional rights. These are, these are very basic things that the Constitution clearly guarantees that the people in Lexington are not getting. And something I can say, you know, as somebody who's been to Lexington Many, 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 many times. And as somebody who is black and a woman who is going there and has dealt with those police officers and has, you know, they've threatened to arrest me on things that didn't even make sense. I can tell you that when you enter Lexington, if you are a black person, you essentially don't have rights. That is what I feel every single time I enter those city limits. Whenever I get off of the highway and get on that exit, I let people know this is where I am. Mm -hmm. You know, if I don't check in with you at a certain amount of time, then you should, you know, check on me. You should call this person, this person, because is it that bad? Mm -hmm. This is something where people, this community is in fear. In addition to the lawsuit, the everyday practices of the police department need to be stopped now. At the direction of and on behalf of the people of Lexington, the ACLU of Mississippi has helped draft and propose new ordinances and policing policies to the Lexington Board of Aldermen. ACLU of Mississippi Legal Director Joshua Tom explains. The policies for the Lexington Police Department should already be adopted. These include... Uh, complaint policy. If someone has a complaint against the police department, it should be processed in a uh, consistent way and there should be some type of result given to the person who complains. An unbiased policing policy, which just means that you can't uh, police in a discriminatory or biased fashion. And then in a uh, checkpoint policy that makes the checkpoints consistent and only done for uh, constitutional and, and legal reasons with minimal amount of intrusion while still uh, providing the important ability to prevent drunk driving, to ensure people have license and registration, et cetera. And if you look at International Association of Chiefs of Police, other law enforcement experts and agencies, these are policy uh, basics. Mm-hmm. Like any standard policies and procedure of a law enforcement agency should already have these. So the fact that Lexington doesn't is not a good thing. Mm. And so we're just sort of really recommending that, you know, they get up to get up to the, you know, bare minimum standard. And for purposes of ordinances, we recommended a repeal of a profanity ordinance, which had made it illegal for anyone to use profanity or cuss at a police officer, mm. which uh, there's Supreme Court precedent from the United States Supreme Court that says, you know, simply using words, even if it's profanity against a law enforcement officer, is protected speech. Mm-hmm. And so this ordinance is, you know, I think just facially unconstitutional. And so we asked them to repeal that. We've also asked them to update their fireworks ordinance and their inoperable ve- vehicle ordinance because those two ordinances were resulting in people engaged in, you know, revelry during the 4th of July or New yep. Year's Eve yep. or, or people who, you know, either their car broke down for a couple of days or they were mechanics 
with you know inoperable cars on their on their property that they were working on for for their jobs resulted in people like that in getting involved in law enforcement interactions yep. resulting in fines and fees and arrests and the community requested that changes be made to those to make things more fair for the residents. I do want to talk about this issue of roadblocks, though, because it seems like it is like the uh, open door or the the foot in the door where a lot of these incidents are occurring. Um, And we've also seen uh, police departments weaponize roadblocks before. Um, Madison County, uh, for instance, um, as well as even here in Jackson, where we put out a couple of statements about the issues that uh, that that um, were occurring because of the uh, roadblocks here in Jackson. Can you talk a little bit about just like the, the common denominator here, roadblocks and how police are using these uh, as tools um, to antagonize um, and to target uh, communities, specifically communities of color and poor communities? Yeah. So, you know, there are legitimate reasons to use roadblocks. Um, You know, roadblocks are set up to ensure people aren't drunk driving, to ensure that people have license and registration and, uh, you know, when done appropriately and done with, you know, minimal amounts of inconvenience and, and intrusion into uh, motorists' driving, uh, they can serve a good purpose. However, have we, as we've seen in Madison County, which, you know, the ACOE Mississippi was involved in a lawsuit um, over Ma- the Madison County Sheriff's roadblock practices several years ago. You know, the Jackson Police Department got sued over their roadblock practices recently. And then, you know, now we're talking about the Lexington Police Department's roadblock practices. The common denominator across all three of those is that these roadblocks uh, were not being used simply to check for license and registration or drunk driving, uh, but instead they um, were used or at least appear to be used in Lexington for general crime control purposes. And if you are doing that, the Supreme Court of the United States has said that that's illegal. You can't have roadblocks for general, general crime control. And also uh, in Madison County and also in Lexington, um, it seems that the roadblocks are being concentrated and targeted to black people. And so, you know, if you target policing at a certain race, that's also unconstitutional uh, in violation of the 14th Amendment. Police misconduct, excessive force, and targeting are particularly disturbing in a community like Lexington, which is majority black and economically disadvantaged. The type of violence and corruption neighbors have outlined in complaints is in line with the system of American policing that has harassed, brutalized, and murdered black people since its inception, and it can no longer be swept aside. How do we show up for each other? That's the question we try to answer each episode. The Lexington Board of Aldermen have yet to adopt the ordinances that residents presented to them. And this is the moment to apply pressure because firing the chief of police is not enough. I want to make sure to say thank you to Jill Jefferson, founder of Julian, and the ACLU of Mississippi legal director, Joshua Tom, for joining me on For All the Podcast. Remember, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ACLU underscore MS and on Facebook at ACLU of Mississippi. Remember, when one group's rights are violated, every marginalized group is at risk. We can't make change without each other. We need liberty and justice for all of us.